Well, good afternoon, and thank you, Leslie and Paul. Once again, let's take our Bibles to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11, and today we'll, uh, we're going to pick up the reading uh, at verse 32, even though uh, the section we will spend most of our time is from 36 on to the rest of the chapter. So Daniel chapter 11, we'll begin reading at verse 32. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, and by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be holpen with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. Some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. And the king shall do according to his will. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and the God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things." Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many, and shall divide the land for gain. At the end, I'm sorry, and at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy, and utterly to make away many. He shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. May God add a special blessing to reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father, once again we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather on a glorious day, a day that you've made, a day that we have the opportunity to be with you. Surrounding your word, the Holy Spirit, which indwells us, gathering now in this place to receive a blessing from truth. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and that it is truth. Father, in a world that's gone crazy, a world that certainly seems to deny and to rebel. And this is really what this prophecy is about that Daniel was given. As he's seen 70 years go by, thinking it was the end of that, shall we say, the time of 
the Israelites, it's time for them to return. But literally, it was the beginning of we'll literally go to the end of time and God working with the rebellion of which his chosen people continue to be. And Father, thank you for in the suffering and the tumult and all of the challenges that will be coming in the future. Thank you for your grace. For all of those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you for Jesus Christ to be able to literally allow that to happen because he paid the price. Today, Father, again, open our eyes, allow the Spirit to work and that he would exclusively be our teacher. And we would open to you. Relationally, this would be opportunity for us to be closer than we've ever been. We'll rely on you, and with anticipation, we thank you in advance for what you'll do in our lives because of the Word and because you are God. We'll thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Daniel chapter 11, which we spent the first 35 Actually, we didn't get through the first 35 verses. I want to back up just a little bit. But it's actually uh, the middle portion of the last revelation that Daniel was given. Uh, chapter 10 was the part where Daniel it gives us his context. We see literally his state of mind. And for 21 days, he was praying and fasting, pouring out his heart before God. And even during some very, what I would say, festivities, uh, holidays, uh, that's not the right word, but holy days. There we go. Holy days that um, even the Passover and all of these things around it, he, he blew right through that because his heart was so heavy. Because literally, he knew the 70 years was about up. He saw the return, and not very many people went. Not very many people cared. Not very many things seemed to be going in the sense of everything that he anticipated. It, it was like this heightened level after reading Jeremiah chapter 25 and 29 of the scroll, he would have seen, here we go. We're going to go back home and everything's going to be awesome. I tried my best, but it was just like Daniel. It wasn't awesome. It was just this lethargy, and I think we might have read last week, if not the week before, in Ezra, where literally nothing was getting accomplished. And Daniel knew that. And he just said, why is this happening? Do you see why we should be on our faces today? What is going on? Right? What is going on? It's much the same. Daniel is so pertinent for us today, I believe out of any other book that I could bring to you of God's Word. Written 2,500 years ago. That's how right on and relevant God's Word is. Daniel's the man we need to follow in prayer and in focus and determination, and discipline. Well, let's keep moving now. So chapter 11 was the unfolding of this vision, this time for the, for the angel to say, I'm going to tell you what's wrong, Daniel. I'm going to show you because God has sent me. And by the way, I was fighting with the prince of Persia. And fortunately, Michael came and bailed me out so that I could get here to give you an answer because God wants you to know this. And by the way, When I'm done with you, I've got to go back, and I'm going to get back to fighting with that guy. And then the prince of Greece is coming beyond that. (laughs) I mean, they've pulled the veil back for us to just see a little bit, and it's like, whoa. And that's been going on, and it will go on, and it is going on. 
I think the spiritual warfare right now in the world is extraordinarily high, particularly in America, particularly in America. The, the nation's demise, I don't want to say, the nation's life is on the line. And I'm not here to predict what's going to happen. I'm, I'm not that kind of guy, but I know this. At the end, America is not in Revelation. It's not there. Somewhere it has been encapsulated with something else. And we are ripe for that because we don't know who or what we stand for anymore. We no longer know what truth is. We don't even know where to find truth. Truth matches reality. Our youngest generation doesn't even realize what truth is. They don't even think it matters. They don't even think they can find it. So it doesn't matter. That's where we're at as a nation. Think of that. In literally a little over 200 years, we have fallen from a very gifted place of prestige and privilege that God has given to us. Um, and Daniel, you know, and Israel could tell the same story. We followed a line even faster. Look at Israel. God's chosen people. And this is, this is the message of all of this, this last vision that Daniel has given, this rebellion, and this is what this is about. Israel has been in rebellion for most of its history and will go to the very end. And then we wonder, you think God is full of grace and mercy? Oh, my goodness, right? Oh, my goodness. All of these tough things are going to have to finally go through in the discipline or the chastening. Those are terms we could use in regard to what God is doing. And even now, there's this parenthesis going on. And the ultimate, the ultimate spanking of Israel is coming in that tribulation period. And we are fast approaching. The things that we speak of in the tribulation are extremely close. I'm looking at, I'm reading about some of the new potential financial systems that globally will take effect. One you've heard of the quantum financial system. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't heard of it. Um, if you start looking through some of that, and in good hands, it has great potential. But if you look at it from a step back and you think of those that could be in control, such as this Antichrist, which we're going to talk about today, it truly would be the mark of the beast. You will not be able to financially participate in anything because it's completely transparent if he chooses to put the rules in place. Have you ever seen censorship as being so widely based of us to even have a opinion? I, in the last year, I wouldn't have been able to believe what has taken place. Could not have imagined it. Even though it's in, do you see how fast scripture is moving? Literally, really is. Daniel never made so much sense. <laughs> never made so much sense. All right, I'm getting off in the weeds again, which is very common for me. Um, but, so as the end, let's try to cut through it. Chapter 11, verse, first 35, verse history to us, um, using a history book or books to go back and just relive what Daniel saw as future to him. Um, the one thing that I'd like to come back to is in verse 32 through 35. Um, and for our review, in fact, let's see if you, any of you were here last week, if you remember what we were talking about. <clears throat> uh, the outline, which was rather, it, it's not easily done, actually, but we found out there was five kings that started with the letter A. That's not very distinguishing. That's not very uh, enlightening, but that's how we kind of traverse through the chapter. So the first king we found was from the Medes and Persian, and his name was Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. This marker's not going to work. Um, I'll tell you what, we'll live without it today. Oh, wait, I've got one here. Ahasuerus. Another name that he went by was Xerxes, correct? Oh, there we go. 
I don't even know if that's close, but it looks like a lot of letters and it sounds and looks like a Hashuaris. Does it look close? <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. And then, that, so that'd be our first one we looked at. He was a king, very prominent, actually, and Esther, well, that was the one when Esther, the book of Esther was written around. He's the one that actually gave the decree of which went back and started Daniel's 70 weeks. Okay? Then the second one we looked at was Alexander. He was a military genius. Alexander the Great, actually, at 33, his life was over. Um, just basically completely conquered everything was to conquer, bored to death, became an alcoholic, and died. That sounds like a great life, right? Number three was Antiochus the Great. He's one that was, uh, seems like the great seems to be kind of a common theme here. He was one that we talked about. Uh, he would have come from the Seleucids. Uh, very powerful, did a lot of things. Uh, and it, I'm, I don't, I'm trying not to, I'm at, but did you guys go home with a headache last week? I, my apologies. Completely wore you guys out. But I don't know what to do about it, right? It just, it just stacked and packed, and you've got to bring it, and you, know, you just deal with it. So, uh, and then number four, which we looked at as the last one, would have been Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a madman. He was a whacked dude. And the fifth one, you haven't, we haven't got there. We're really close, though. Um, I'd like to just dip back in for just a second in uh, verse 32. I want to be, as we're doing that, this is Antiochus Epiphany's section, shall we say. And he was uh, a madman. And he came to Israel. And, and again, I want to continue to say this. All of this history, all of these kings, all of this focal point geographically is given to Daniel because Israel is right in the middle of these conflicts. And the place is just being decimated all of the time. All of the time. It's just, it, it is the landing spot. And by the way, that is not by accident. Satan continually is looking to take the war to Jerusalem. In fact, we'll find today that Antichrist sets up his palace between the seas. I'll talk about that later. But literally, why would he pick that spot out of all the earth? Because that's the place that God calls the glorious land, the holy city. Right? That's what it's all about. Okay. Um, something uh, that this is a section that I have underlined in my Bible, and it's not just for those people, but I couldn't. What I'm going to try to do, and I, I tried to do it last week. I don't know if you could make the time frame for the Jews any worse so far. Now, it's going to get worse in the tribulation. But so far, all the way through to you get to the tribulation, I think this under Antiochus Epiphanes is absolutely the worst time the Jews have ever experienced. Okay? And the really important part is, is the fact that, look at, let's look at verse 32 again. It says this. It says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. No, there are those that would be false Jews. Those that would be, when it speaks of the covenant, that would be breaking God's law, that they intentionally broke God. That's all under the sense of rebellion. And today even, uh, you think of the weeds and terrors, that parable, uh, just because someone calls himself a Jew does not mean they are a Jew. But that's up to God. That's God's business. 
He's the one that will sort it out. But those that were, what should we say, uh, reprobates or whatever, they were caught by epiphanies, flatteries, because they were looking out for themselves, looking for opportunities. And he would tell them what they wanted to know. And they, they would do that, those that had broke the covenant, that God's law. But watch this. Now look at this. It says, but the people that do know their God, in other words, trust their God, shall be strong and do exploits. And maybe in one of your versions that would have, they will resist him. Who's him? Who's him? Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay. So let her, now think of that today even. See, as we are in this good, evil battle, as Christians, when you see truth, I still believe it's very important that we stand for truth. We don't cave in. We just we stand for This is exactly. Now, these people that he's speaking of, there was a, a father by the name of Mattathias, and he had five sons. And the one that's the most prominent. Now, this uh, where Antiochus Epiphanes comes into place, uh, the, the pinnacle of his I, the height of his desecration would have been, I believe it's December 16th. 167 B.C. That's when he went into the temple and all the things we discussed. I mean, he took a sow and he slaughtered her. They, they took the blood and just, I mean, they just literally just made the place uninhabitable. And he eventually put his, he put a statue of Zeus inside the temple. Now, it's going to be different. The next one we're going to talk about, help, we're going to fast forward for a moment. Because Antiochus Epiphanes is the clearest picture we have of Antichrist of a person that actually has lived on the earth. And Antichrist will go into the temple of the Jews, and he will make himself God. Now, Epiphanes, he was a madman. He was an egotist. But no, no, he's nothing, nothing compared to what the Antichrist were. We're going to be looking at his character. But Antichrist, when this new temple is built from the Jews, he literally will desecrate it by having himself blasphemously, blasphemously, being in the center of worship in the place that God would have for himself. That's how crazy this Antichrist is. But as a result of all of that, these priests were, I mean, they were desecrated as well, quite honestly. And anyway, Mattathias and his five sons, they and others that followed them went literally to the hills. They, they, they took off to try to, you know, to, to survive, quite honestly, because they were standing for truth. There, you know, it's just, it, you can't make it any worse. I can't make it any worse. But you know what? God really, that sense of exploit or resist, Judas Maccabean, which that word, he was known as the hammerer. <laughs> he brought a game, right? Okay. And, and two years later, you know, but it was in the latter part of, well, actually it would have been 165 BC when they actually beat Antiochus Epiphanes militarily, beat him. And then they cleansed the temple in the latter part of the year 164 B.C. God helped them. And and overall, it it was the right thing. And God helped them because they trusted in him. And there still were those that lost their lives. I'm here to say, folks, if we're willing to trust God, no matter what the circumstances, we're safe. We're safe. The only thing we need to fear on this earth is God. If we fail to fear God, we fear everything else. I may not remember, I was going to do the save this for last, but came across a verse of visiting with a friend the last couple of days. Uh, write this down. We want to come back. Maybe someone will remind me as we get there. Isaiah 26.3. 
Isaiah 26.3, as we move on. So literally, there was a time frame right around that 165, 164 B.C., of which the Maccabeans read, led this revolution against Antiochus Epiphanes. And actually, the end of his life was in 163 B.C. Just a couple of years later, he died in, in insanity. He literally just lost it. But it's interesting, those people that trusted God and resisted him won a victory. We, with God in being in God's will, there's never anything short of a victory because there's some other things here that I find interesting as we dive into the, oh, not quite yet. Okay, let's go to verse 35 because this is the change. This is the change of place. Why is this taking place? Why did all of these things happen? Why did we have all of these people literally persecuting the Jews? Verse 35, and some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. There's a time fix. God has fixed the time. Nothing will be added. Nothing will be subtracted because this was the required time to get the Jews to wake up to see who their God is. So literally, all of, even, even the time of the Maccabeans and, and, and Antiochus Epiphanes, all of those horrible things, literally, it says it was to try, to test, and to make white, or that is to purify. And sometimes suffering is the best way to get rid of the dross, to get rid of the stuff that we've got to get out of our lives. Some, and David White has said this. I may, I, I, if, I may not get it exactly right, but he said, you know, when we, when we get onto a scene where there's been a natural disaster, such as a tornado, a hurricane, or something of that nature, and the people have nothing left, there's really, they, they always are in a very state of thankfulness for what they have. That's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes when we're get, the more you give, it's even in the sense of a child, the more you give them, the less thankful they are. They don't even recognize what they got. You know what's happened in America? The very same thing. We have been given too much for too long, and now we do not appreciate it. And every generation is just a little bit worse. Uh, I, well, anyway, I, it's so easy for me to chase down that trail because it seems so obvious of how much we've lacked respect for our Lord. And every generation is just one step further. Okay, with that, and he says in the latter times... Uh, at the time of the end, there, I'm sorry, in verse 35. You, it's, he's setting you up for a change. In verse 36, we're going to go to our last king, and that is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Now, this isn't the first time that Daniel has exposed us to him. In fact, in the previous three revelations, he was spoken of at the end of those as well. So let's go with uh, verse 36, the king. He's described as the king. Well, actually, let's uh, just stop there for a moment. Uh, Daniel has described him in Daniel chapter 7. That's the little horn. Daniel chapter 8, he was the one of fierce countenance. And that would be, when I say countenance, that would be your face. We didn't spend a lot of time here, but the fierce-faced one, okay? In other words, have you ever, um, I'm thinking of a couple people just come into my mind, and when I look at them and look at their eyes, they're actually very scary. There's something, that you, right? You, you've probably seen one or two people like, uh, Antichrist will be unbelievable. Who's behind those eyes, right? The man of fierce countenance. That's what's described for us in chapter 8. That's the words that Daniel used. Chapter not, I'm, yeah, chapter 9, he's described as the prince that shall come. And if we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's called the man of sin. 
and the son of perdition. Who else was called the son of perdition? And before you even answer that, the perdition would be the, the one for a time of destruction. He was made for destruction. Who is one? There's one other person that that's said of. Judas Iscariot, the son of perdition. You know what happened in his case. Again, Satan indwelled him. Uh, the Antichrist will be Satan incarnate, if you will. And then uh, the last one that, that he is called in Revelation chapter 13, well, there's several others probably too, but Revelation 13 describes him as the beast. So how would you like to be described that way? Now, the first time we were actually acquainted with him, it said that he was, well, Antiochus Epiphanes, which would be a picture of him, he was called vile. That doesn't ring up things of wonder and amazement, does it? No. Antichrist. The king is how he's described here. It says, what, what I'd like to do, first of all, as we do this, um, is the sense of his character. We're, we're going to talk about his character, his conflict, and his condemnation. His character. The king shall do according to his will. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against God of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that is determined shall be done. First thing we find about him is the fact that he will have a great deal of authority. Uh, he will do what he wants. He will totally and completely be in control. Now, we do know, okay, now one thing, we want to make sure we're, we're following this through. Ahasuerus was from what kingdom? The Medes and Persians, okay? Now, the kingdom before that had already elapsed by the time that, that uh, Daniel got this vision. Which one was that? What was the first one? Babylonia. Now, that one had actually ceased. It was over. That's why they started in this vision with the Medes and Persians, Ahasuerus. Then Alexander the Great would have been the next kingdom, the Greeks. Okay. Um, Antiochus the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes would have been from the Greek, yeah, from the Seleucid family. That's absolutely correct. Because after Alexander the Great died, there was four different dynasties that after, I think it was 20 years, I'm, I'm not exactly right, but uh, it was a number of years after Alexander the Great, he conquered the world in a very, very short time. It was, his, his army was wore out. They just basically were almost falling apart from exhaustion. They never lost. They just couldn't go any faster. And then after he won, then that took a long, actually, it's 15, 20 years till those four dynasties really got broke out. And we talked about, remember on the board last week, the north and the south. That would be from what area? Well, from Jerusalem or from Israel. South being Egypt. North being the Seleucids or out of Syria. Okay? And these two guys, Antiochus the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes, would have been from the Seleucid dynasty from the north, but they also would have been from the Greek Empire. Don't miss that. Okay? They're still part of the Greek, the Greek Empire. But now something changes right here in verse 36. What was the last empire that Daniel has spoken of before, even in chapter, even with, with, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, even way back in chapter 2. It was Rome, exactly. The Romans, this Antichrist, now keep this carefully, he will come out of the Roman Empire. That's where he's coming from. That's the last one. So it's, it's interesting. See, this just matches up perfectly as you move through. He will come from the Roman Empire. If, if you've noticed now in this last portion that we read, did you see where the king, there was no king from the west? That's because going west of Jerusalem is what? Europe. It's where the Roman Empire really would be focalized, not focalized. It would be focused there. And so this is the beginning, literally, of the end of the Roman Empire and the Antichrist being the final world leader. He has authority. He does what he wants and wills. 
It's utter and complete selfishness. Uh, again, our world is set up for that in every way. I, I, can't, I can't believe the narcissism that has taken place, in our, especially in our country at high levels. It's all about myself. It's all about me. It's all about, right? He will be the epitome of selfishness. In fact, as we go on to these other characteristics, you will just see it just being just incredibly focused on how he lives and breathes in the sense of a dictator-type mentality. So he's, first of all, one that's very authoritative or has the sense of authority, part of his character. The second one we find is not only does he do his will, according to his will, he exalts himself and magnifies himself above every god. What would that tell us? He's extremely arrogant. Pride, you could use arrogance here, pride, but extremely arrogant. More than you can even imagine. If you think of someone that's egotistical, here, this, again, this would be their best picture, was Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, he, was the, he wanted to be called the great one. He thought he was really something. He is nothing compared to someone, because here's, the, here's, here's one differentiation, which the third one is actually, that this Antichrist will be atheistic. There will be no God in his life, none whatsoever, except himself. And I can't believe how many people today that I just read on different forums or whatever that truly are atheists because they only want to worship themselves. There's no more room in the world except for them, and they become their own God. That's why they choose to be atheists. Not because they don't believe there is a God. It's because they don't want one. That will be the Antichrist on steroids. That will, he will look extremely like that. He, he will be actually very irreligious. Uh, there's, there's not going to be any part of God. In fact, let's go to uh, 2 Thessalonians for a moment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This would be a corollary uh, passage fitting the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I should have looked to where we should start. Um, well, let's just start in verse 3. Verse 3. Actually, verse 1. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. This is Paul, and what he's trying to do is just calm down the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians, there we go. And, and they have thought they've missed the rapture. They have missed things. And he talked about that in the first letter. And the second one, it's, it's almost like he's starting back over. And he starts in verse 1, chapter 2. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither be by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. See, I think we're in the falling away right now where we're at. And that man of sin be revealed. That's another name for Antichrist. The son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's arrogant and atheistic. But he's also very profane. He's a blasphemer. Go back to Daniel. And it says, Daniel chapter uh, 11, verse 36, it says that he shall speak marvelous things. That's mighty. Un, un, actually, if you, if you can think of what blasphemous things are, when that word marvelous is, this is very unique. It's, it's a brand new kind of blasphemous. It's, he will say things that no one else has ever said. That's how unique and off the wall this guy is from a blasphemy standpoint. 
against the God of gods. That would be the Lord God. That's Jehovah, the one God. And he shall prosper. Now, I love the next section. This is another little... I have things underlined in my Bible. Somebody, people don't know. What, why did you underline that? Because it, again, shows us this. And shall prosper, how long? Till the indignation be accomplished. Till the end of the tribulation. Until his thing is done. Now, one day will go any longer than God says, no, we're finished. It's over. It's over. Everything's been completed. And for that is determined, it shall be done. It, it's like, this is history. We just haven't lived it. That's what's really cool about God. It's, it's history. We just haven't seen it. So he's, he has authority. He's arrogant. He's atheistic. He's a blasphemer. Let's, let's go to um, Daniel chapter 7 for a moment, just to show you his level of, of arrogance uh, and his sense of power that he always... Let's go to... This would be Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Speaking of this same one... Um, one that would have been described as the little horn. But in verse 25, it says, He shall speak great things against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. If you can imagine, he's actually trying the things that God has appointed. Uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 13 quickly. Revelation chapter 13, we'll look at a couple of verses there. Revelation 13, another description of the beast as he's described. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Revelation 13, 5 and 6. There was given unto him, this beast, this Antichrist, a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Now, again, I want to be careful to say this. He does not come on the scene at the beginning of the tribulation in this manner. He comes on the scene in the tribulation being very suave, very articulate. Very peace-oriented, because it told us back in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27 that the tribulation started when he makes a covenant of the... Remember, we run the 70 weeks of years. The last week, the la- that's all we're waiting for, by, by the way. And that last week, he makes, he, he makes a covenant with Israel to, I think, allow them peace and prosperity and to be able to build a temple. Because today, they don't have one. We also know... See, we know they're going to have one. <laughs> we, we do, because... Because it says the Antichrist will desecrate it. So you have to have one to desecrate it. They don't have one. So to me, it's perfect in the sense of he signs this beautiful, lousy, sleazy peace treaty and says, you know what? You can really trust me. I'm here for you. In fact, I may even donate some goods for you to get this thing on board. Get your temple bill. I'm all in for you. You guys have been maligned. You've been taken advantage of. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And they buy it. Today, it would take a pretty good song and a pretty good salesman to probably bring anything. I don't know if we trust that guy. Because, you know what? You couldn't, so far, the Jews couldn't trust anybody. Correct? Okay. That's how good this guy's going to be. But for three and a half years, that's the story. And when you get to the three and a half year point, in fact, we'll, we'll be getting into it in a moment. I think it all comes apart when we talked about in chapter, where were we at? Chapter 9, I think it was, where Ezekiel, for me, and I... I'm fine to be disagreed with. That's, that's okay. But for me, it fits. Ezekiel 38 and 39 happens during a time of peace. We are not at a time of peace. You get to the three-and-a-half-year level of where Satan really... I'm Satan. I call it the Antichrist Satan because it's literally who he is. And when he bears his chest and you see who he is, that is the last point of peace on this planet for 42 months. So somewhere just prior to that, Ezekiel 38 and 39 has got to take place. And when it does, it's set up perfectly in the sense of... They're actually, now 
Ezekiel 38 and 39, who wins that battle against the Russian? I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but we'll, we'll come right back to it. God literally, God does, right? But it's like he was the one that was in the middle. It's like they're coming to squeeze him because that's where he's hanging out, isn't it? Don't miss that. The Antichrist wants to make home Israel. You see it. He makes his palace. And actually, the king from the north and the king from the south, yeah, they're coming against Israel, but they're going to, this is a revolution. Because they don't like the Antichrist nearly as much as they should like him. They're seeing who he is. Anyway, just ahead of myself for a moment. Okay, so let's review for a moment. You tell me. Uh, characteristics of uh, the character of this Antichrist. He's authoritarian. He's arrogant. Yep, arrogant. And he's atheistic. Okay, and by selfish, yeah, he's he's the maximum. And so I don't know. I don't know what what a, there should be a new word for this. The maximum of selfishness, and it's more than narcissism. It's got to be something new. It's called the Antichrist. That will be the epitome of selfishness. Okay, so uh, authoritarian, arrogant, atheistic, a blasphemer, a profane. I don't know which, what word did I give you? Blasphemer? Okay, or you could say profane. Now, the, the next one we'll find in verse 37, he has another one, and I, I would say probably the best word we could use is the fact that he's perverted. Verse 37. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Now, uh, let's come. What do you guys have? Does somebody have NIV today or NASB? Read that. Sec- what does that have there? Uh, let me read that. Let me read this. And I want you like you to repeat it. Um, Neither shall he regard the in the King James. It has capital G God of his fathers. Okay. What do you have there? And it's it's S, right? Yes. That is the proper. That is the proper context. Because what's happened is some have taken this capital G of his fathers, which is a term that you'll find back in the Old Testament describing Jewish heritage. The God of his fathers, right? That would be Jacob. That would, you, you, you say, I could track that through. That is not the correct context. Um, was that, which one, was that NASB? Okay, does someone have NIV? Okay, what does it say there? Does it say gods or God? Gods, that's correct. That it, it is plural. That is, that's an area of, of I think, uh, clarity by what it really should say. Because if you have it the way the King James has it, what it does is it leaves out there the possibility that literally this Antichrist could be a Jew. I do not believe that's true at all. But that's where they get it from. But if you dig into it, that phrase is not singular it is plural because he's denying the gods of his ancestors now let's think about that from the romans that would be any god right and he's he doesn't even believe in any of that he is totally irreligious and that is still under this it's i'm not calling it an extra character that's somewhere on atheistic he is there is no place for religion in his life okay now let's let's keep rolling with that um it says that neither shall he regard the gods of, I'm going to say it that way, the gods, small g, of his fathers, any of his heritage, those that they, that they would have followed. That's the first thing we find in the sense of his perversion. There's total irreligious uh, attitudes towards God. There is no God. He has no God. 
Again, just himself. Now, the second part of the perversion is not only the fact that he's completely irreligious. It says that he has no desire of women. Now, that one's tricky. It could mean that he's homosexual, but it doesn't have to mean that. Let's think again. What would be, let's think about the things that God has laid out at the beginning. Let's take Adam and Eve. The really important things. First of all, was the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. I, let me back up. Let me, I missed, I already missed one. I'm sorry. Let me back up. The first thing that was the most important for God was the relationship that he had with Adam. It was good. It wasn't good that Adam didn't have someone of which he could communicate at his level. That wasn't good. So God made Eve. So what did he do when he made Eve and he gave Eve to Adam? He created a family. And that's literally, you could take this phrase, no desire for women. He is not capable of loving a woman. He is not capable of loving a family. He is not capable of anything that has to do with what God had created in the sense of family life and love. And there's no God. There's no family. Now, whether he's a homosexual or not, it would certainly fit the bill. Doesn't make, because that, that would sell well today. You take the world right now across that forum. If he could come from the LGBTQ plus, whatever that stuff is, he would fit beautifully because he would fit exactly what is believed by the elites. I'm not sure that I could make that claim, but I can say this without question. There is no place for anyone else except himself. Okay. He's perverted in that respect. There's something about that God has placed within us, uh, even, 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 in a young, even in a child in the sense of a place for God, right? In Ecclesiastes, it talks about we're made to have a place in our heart that needs to be filled only, only, only by God. And then there's part of us that we, God made us, there's a part that makes us just be part of family and love and nurturing. And protecting and all of those things, those are absent. That and without that, that is perversion. That's what's happening again in our in our America today. We're trying those are two things that really has been flaunted and tried to expand upon in our society, in life and practice, is get rid of God and get rid of being weighed down by family. Those are two very, very important institutions that God placed, because we can't survive without them. But these are two things that Really, perversions is what I'm calling it. Then Antichrist is, is, has and will, will uh, express. Okay. Um, let's keep going. So neither shall he regard the, God, the gods of his fathers, nothing, no, no complete irreligiosity, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god. He says, now that's singular, by the way. That word there is singular. No regard for what? Any God. You see it? That's why the first time it said we're, we're convinced that it is actually to be plural because it is, it is very clearly said that it is singular in that next portion. For why? For he shall magnify himself above all. If, if you don't get the selfishness part of the Antichrist, I don't know how to make it any clearer. It is just pound the wall. This is all the life is about is him and him alone. Now, in verse 38, now what it says... Uh, but in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. 
Now, that phrase in the King James, but in his estate, um, would mean, actually, let me just get to that. I want to get it right. Would be in its place. In what's place? The love that he should have for God. The love he should have for family. Or for a wife, and again, the homosexuality to me is, I, I think you could put parentheses around, could very well be, but I don't think that phrase absolutely guarantees it. But the point of the matter is, instead of those things, which would be God-based, his focus, his worship, he's going to, now they're going to tell you, we're going to find out what we know about him. In fact, if you're keeping track of Let's go back for just a second. We got a little bit sidelighted because we had a couple of points about perversion. So we have, he's authoritative. He's, he's atheistic. That's right. And there's another A there. He was arrogant and he was, excuse me, a blasphemer or a pro, you know, very profane. And then the last one that we talked about so far is perverted. So you should have five character characteristics of this man. How are you doing? Do you like this guy? You would really like to run into him, wouldn't you? Not so much. You know the scary part? Are you ready for this? There's a lot of those out there today. <laughs> he, he wouldn't even stick out for a little bit. That's Now do you see why we're in the last? I really think we're there because you just look at what could rise out of this sea. And that's another term. I just, just popped in my head. In, in, in Daniel and Revelation, it talks about him coming out of the rise of the sea of humanity. There's a lot of them that look like this, but he's the master. Folks are drawn to this. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. So let's look at the last one, and this one won't surprise us either, is a sense of where really then? These, these things that he should be loving, God, family, wife, all of that, he's taking all of that instead of that. He's literally loving something else. It's going to tell us now in verse 38. <clears throat> but in this, I'm, I'm sorry, but instead of... Shall he honor the God of forces? Now, uh, again, let's, let's, NASB, what do you have, Jerry, the God of forces? What do you, fortresses, what do you have? Fortresses. Paul, what are you reading? Fortresses. What, New King James. Okay, does anyone have any different? Fortresses. Okay, that would have the sense of military might. And he's going to watch how he, watch, you know, what, what do we know about the military? Just think about the United States. What's the largest expenditure on our budget? Sometimes. I guess it depends on who's in charge or whatever. Defense. Defense, right? Weaponry. Uh, war materials. Like making a war machine. Now watch. Let's watch this. He knows this. He said, but instead of those things, he honors the God of forces or military might and a God whom his fathers knew not. In other words, that wasn't something that, again, this would be the Roman Empire, if you will. And they really literally, they would take their riches and they would use it on their God. They, you know, they would offer to Zeus and all of these multitude, this myriad of gods. Not him. Everything, his God is military. It is might and power. Maybe that's where we should just use is the fact, part of his character is the fact that he would worship power. That's, that's better. That's, that's good. Worships power. Verse 38, but in his estate shall he honor the God of forces and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor. In other words, he's going to make sure that it continues that way with what? Gold and silver with precious stones and pleasant things. That's one thing we know about a military machine. It takes a lot of money to make it bigger and better and mightier and to keep it up to speed. Uh, Right? Exactly right. He will spend everything that he can put his hands on to make himself more powerful. 
So that actually takes care of his character. Now we're going to go to the conflict. The conflict. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let, verse 39 ties in with that. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds. There again, you probably have fortresses. You have the sense of military might. With a strange God. Now that strange God would be for someone to worship the military. That's a little weird, isn't it? That's what he's doing, though. That's why it's, it's different or it's something that would be contrary to what his ancestors would have followed. Whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. So now that's, a, that's thinking about how he rewards those that follow him. To, for him to get to rise out of the sea of humanity, for him to get to the place of sovereignty, that's a smooth, articulated, suave way of him doing that. But as he gets along that way, in fact, he comes out of the ten kings, these ten rulers of the, the revived Roman. And that doesn't necessarily make all the sense in the world to me right now. I, I, I don't know. But you know what? Again, you know what's happened in the last 12 months? That could happen in a couple of days, quite honestly. I mean, right? I mean, it could just literally swing around. And, but right now, it doesn't necessarily know. It doesn't make any sense on my time frame that I see now. But how does he gain more notoriety? How does he gain more sense of support? Is he tells these guys that are on his side... He says, I'm going to give you positions of leadership, and I'm going to give you possessions of land, which means I'm going to let you rule places. That's literally how he gains more control over them. The guy is unbelievable, is he not? Amazingly powerful, amazingly articulate. Now, the conflict. Not everybody is happy with him. Verse 40. And at the time of the end, this would be in the tribulation... Somewhere that I, I think this is about mid-tribulation period. At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. Now, those, those senses of chariots and horsemen and, and, and ships, um, those would have been the highest level of military might that Daniel would have access to. That So... That I, I don't mean any, it doesn't mean any more than that. So think of the highest levels of weaponry that we would have, or at the time, I would say even at the time that the Antichrist is here. All of those things will come against him from those that are his. Now, and wait a minute, what, what would we call this? What is going on here? I thought he was in charge. I thought he was the sovereign one. It's called a revolution, isn't it? Or what did you call it? Rebellion. A rebellion. Yeah, we could say the same thing. There's a rebellion or a revolution against the Antichrist right now. Not everybody's in love with this guy. And why is that? What is Satan's biggest, biggest weapon? The, the thing he pushes? Selfishness. Selfishness. Selfish. How can everybody not be selfish if selfishness is the goal? Now, Antichrist is the most selfish. But what do you think about the king? Who's the king from the north? Now, I, this is right now. We could, we could stream right back into Ezekiel 38 and 39 because this is a time of peace before the midsection of the tribulation. What do we know about and it's actually the term that's used, it's far north. Who's far north? Russia. Russia. If you go back to, I'm not going to do this, but Ezekiel 38, 39, if you read it in conjunction with this, it will make some sense to you. I, I, I don't have time to just dive into it, but it says Gog and Magog. Gog would be the leader, whoever that, today that would be Putin, okay? And Magog would be the nation, Russia, okay? So it says that Russia is going to come, and that's the king of the far north, actually, in the, in the clearest context, he will come pushing, and that word push would mean to attack. 
That's literally the word, to push. Or be like a goat, a goat shoving. And like Alexander the Great, remember him? What is, if you watch, have you ever watched two goats fight or two sheep bucks? What do they do? They give them the eye, they back up, and then they run at each other. My dad said, he, this, is, this is years ago, why does he think pop into my mind? He said he was watching one time there was a cow, you know, outweighs this sheep by, you know, 10 to 1, right? And I it was a bull. And, he, and this, so they're just fooling around. They're just fooling around, right? And, and, all, and this, you know, this bull's pushing on him. He puts his head down. The sheep buck steps back, and he runs out and drops that bull like he was just nothing. Now, that's the idea that's behind it, that sense of attack, okay? Now, from the south, they would be what? From Egypt? But let's, let's look at some of the other words which you don't have, but I'm going to add them. Um, you know what? Let's just go to Ezekiel 38. You guys okay with that? Let's just go there. Ezekiel 38, and we'll look at a few verses in there. Ezekiel 38. <clears throat> and in verse 16, first of all, I'd like to go there. It does speak of the fact that it's in the latter days. Uh, Ezekiel 38. Tell me, are you guys all in Ezekiel 38? Okay, if that, let's go to verse 16. Thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in what? The latter days. Now, again, just, just hold there. I'm going to reveal this again in verse 40. It says at the time of the end. It's, this is a time frame of which this would fit. Then the other part that we read the other day, I believe, was in verse 8. Ezekiel 38, 8. After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. There it is again. Thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which we have always wasted and is brought forth out of the nations. They shall dwell safely, all of them. This is a time of peace. It's almost unexpected as such as when this will happen. Now, down to verse 2, it says, this is Ezekiel 38, 2. Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog. That's the leader and the nation of Russia. The chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Now, those would be ancient term names um, for other places. If you see in actually in verse uh, 5, Persia, Ethiopia and Libya with them. So if you put them together, Persia today would be where? Where's Persia? Iran. Okay. And it's very, very interesting. I don't know when exactly we could say this. I should have done a little more homework. But there, there is a, there's this ongoing alliance between Russia and Iran. They have been playing like that for a very, very long time. And I'm sure it's not because of Ezekiel 38 that we should be spending more time together. No, of course not. It's because that's the way it's going to be. Okay. And then you have Cush, which is another. What verse is that in? Uh, Let's see. I'm not. Is that actually just a second? Verse five. Uh, Well, what do you guys have there in verse five? uh, Jerry, what do you have in the NASB? And put, okay, put would be Libya, which is actually translated uh, um, Libya in the King James. Put and Libya are equal, and Cush and Ethiopia are equal. Now, the other thing that's going to be very interesting, let's think about this for a minute. Right now, today, what would irritate, um, oh, I'm, I'm going to give it away. It's not quite as mysterious. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm just going to, just going to say it. What would make the, the Muslims the most irritated is to say that there is no God at all. Allah, he doesn't exist. It's a joke. No, we need to be an atheistic society. In fact, we need to get away from all gods. We need to be completely irreligious. Now, again, Antichrist at the front of that is going to take that approach very peacefully. He's trying to weed out. Now, the other thing that has taken place, we haven't even, somewhere along the line, before he, well, he's making this peace treaty just before that with Israel, we as Christians are gone. We take off. 
And they will spin that to say, finally, our troubles are over. We finally got rid of those lunatics, those, those religious, fanatic, conservative crackpots that continually want to stuff truth down our throats. They want to continually tell us about a God that doesn't exist. How am I doing? Am I selling this thing? See, to the, to the ungodly, to the unsaved, yeah, that could be good, right? Okay, except this. Now, did you catch this? Did you see who's still here? The Muslims. You see, it's a different God. That really irritated when a former president that said we pray to the same God. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> Did you see? There's a there's a there's a snapshot right there of who's leaving, <laughs> right? Because what do we know about those Arab nations? Actually, and I think not only that, but there would be an Arab alliance that would that would really capture on to Russia and particularly the South. Do you see why they're actually coming against? It's like a pincer move against the Antichrist. Now, yes, they hate Israel, but it's even more so than that. The Antichrist, who is very irreligious, and you take those people. Now, now Russia's just out. They're a power kick. They want control. That's what they always want. They always want that. But you take the Arab coalition or alliance, they're going to be very irritated from the fact that they can't worship Allah freely. So they come against him. Now, literally, if you read, if you read Ezekiel chapter 30, I'm going I'm to have to stop in this regard now. Who wins that battle? God does. But you know who's on earth to prove to take it, to take credit? Antichrist. The Antichrist. This is where literally, I think this is this is why I believe Ezekiel 38 and 39 takes place right here. Because the battle is won by God, but he's the one that takes credit, and it totally turns into a bloodthirsty monster. He has he has shown the world now he's in charge and he's taking all this credit. Remember that now. He's taking the credit for the defeat of this revolution from the Arabs and from Russia and Egypt. Of course, all of that whole, that whole thing. And then he turns into this monster. And then he starts to exalt himself. The midterm, the mid-tribulation, this has got to be right in that area. And literally at that point, it is full bore. Antichrist is God and God alone on the planet Earth. Wow. And he takes up, let's, let's keep going. Let's go back to Daniel for a moment. Are any questions, any questions on that? You guys are good? Let's go to Daniel chapter 11 again. At the time of the end, verse 40, shall the king of the south push at him, that word attack, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. With chariot, it's almost like it's fast. It's speed with whirlwind chariots, with horsemen, with very, with very, with ships, many ships. He shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Now, again, uh, you'll have to do your own reading. But in Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine, it's very, very clear that God wipes those people out. It is not the Antichrist. He's kind of in the middle, and it's just like it's taken over. But that's what turns his lights on. From that point forward, the Antichrist is fired up, wanting to do everything he can to take the Jews out or anyone else that defies him. It would be like this. It's, it's like this guy has been working to be in position to be sovereign, and all of a sudden, here comes his first rebellion. And if you can win that one, what does it do for you? This is a guy that's arrogant, outrageously atheistic already. It turns it up four notches. It could be five. But you see what I'm saying? And then he really lets the cat out of the bag. You can, when he takes his shirt off, it's Satan himself. Satan himself. The only problem there is it says that the 
Seven months. Okay, which verse are you looking at? Which one? 39. Okay, now that, that is, let me see here a second. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to come back. I'm going to approach that next week. Okay, because I'm going to keep moving. Okay. Let, Let me, let me do that. Let me pick that up. Because I want to go with it. Chapter 38, I think, is set up right here. Okay? The seven years. I'm going to come back to it next week. (laughs) Okay? Okay? It's a great question. We're going to deal with it. Okay? Now, let's come back to. uh, Let's come back to. During this time, actually, right here, when, when this middle of the tribulation takes place. Something happens that we would see in Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18, which is, again, the last half of the tribulation. What happens? We have seven seven seals and seven bowls or vials. Okay? All of that has taken place literally after this event, right here and going forward. That's, that's Revelation 6 through 18. And it's much more detailed. It's much more unfolded for us than Daniel's picture of what we see here in this. What I've always said, if you try to go to Revelation and build prophecy off of that without having Daniel, you have nothing to hang it on. It just is this blur almost. Does Does that make sense as you've studied Daniel, how Revelation fits together a lot more? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Okay, let's keep going. Um, Verse 40, where were we at? Oh, verse 41. Let's go there. We, we didn't finish that. Verse 41. He shall enter also into the glorious land, which is Israel, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. Now, that's interesting that that's stated. What do you know about those, about those uh, peoples? Anything? And Jordan is? Okay. Let's think geographically for a moment. So let's, let's build a map. Let's say that I'm going to be right here, okay? It, right in the middle would be Israel, right? To the north of that, the far north that we've discussed is who? Is Russia, far north particularly. And then to the south would be Egypt. And that would be southwest, okay? Now, if you have Israel in the middle... On the other side of the two seas, being Mediterranean and the Dead Sea, that's the only two seas that, that uh, literally Dave, Daniel would have known about, was the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. Now, if you go to the east of that, that's where Edom, and, uh, and all of those are in the southeast. Now, think about it. What do you, what do you find in those three places besides Muslim? You find camels. <laughs> There's nothing. There's nothing there. It's not worth his time. But it's interesting that God says this, that somehow or other the Antichrist does not mess with them because I don't think they're worth messing with. He's, he's more in, invested in that. Now, we're going to see another one come, though. In the, in, the, in the east, he's troubled by an uprising. Now, what's off to the far east? Asia, which would be China particularly. 
And that's where I think it all starts to come together for the very end of the tribulation period. This, see, the thing that, that Daniel kind of focuses on is the fact that this isn't just about everybody coming against God. They're coming against Antichrist as well. He's not viewed with his... Well, think about it. Even, even amongst... As long as there's not a... This, this, is, this is the thing we miss sometimes. I hope I'm not getting off subject. But if you take Christians out of the world, and everybody then would be like... I don't know what to use for a word, right? Godless. That's good. Okay. What do we know about godless people? No rules. Who is God to them? Themselves. Themselves. And so as long as there's no Christians to fight with, what do godless people do? They try to be number one. How did Antichrist beat him number one? He's the most selfish, egotistical, slime ball in the world. But that mean, doesn't mean there's not other ones that want to take him out. See, that's the thing. That's, isn't that one of Satan's greatest ploys? As long as there's not a Christian to fight with, you fight amongst yourselves. That's where there's always warring. There's always chaos. There's always conflict in Satan's whole game plan. He loves conflict. See, I, I want to make sure we paint that. And they're going to continue. Oh, if the Christians are gone, it's fantastic. It's all. You think that's going to make this planet better? Even the, even the people that want the Christians to leave? Oh, my goodness, no. It's going to be crazy. Absolutely crazy. I can't, well, I, I don't want to be, I would not want to be here. I do not want to be here. Excuse me? No restraint. No restraint whatsoever. No, no it, it will be, I can't describe it, quite honestly. I, I can't even describe what's happened to us in the last 12 months. I, I really can't do it. I don't even know where we're at. I can just see the things I see and I read and I, and I you know, I hit, listen to. It's way worse than that. I put my, 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 my version of the Bible says, glorious lamp, and then it says in the bottom, it says, Palestine. Why does that refer to this? Is, is there anything about why it says Palestine? Palestine would be another name for Israel. Israel and mm-hmm. the area. That, that, that area, yeah. The Holy Land, see that? Palestine, the Holy Land, Israel, um, in, in its overarching viewpoint. And, and that's, just kind of a, that's just kind of an overall look at it, shall we say. Um, there are obviously there's different factions or, or differences within Palestine. But, but see, that, that's an older word in the sense of Israel equals Palestine. This is one of the things that's happened. I, this is a branch I could d- jump off on for a while. But the Palestinians. I was wondering if this had anything to do with Israel. No, it doesn't. Because, because it's Israel. Yeah. See, it's like they've grabbed a word, a different word, so it's theirs. You, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. If, if you can be a Palestinian and they're an Israelite, that means we both own the same land. And that's mine because I'm a Palestinian. No, it's mine because I'm an Israelite. And it actually means the same thing. It just depends on what you grab from. Excuse me? So it's just, again, this is this neat little web that we're weaving. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Where were we at? Verse 42. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries in the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east... And out of the north, in other words, it's almost like a regrouping 
of Russia. It's like, this is sometime later. Shall trouble him, therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy, and utterly to make away many. So you see again, he's going to, he see there's another great big battle brewing. Now this is, this is where myself, and, and the, it's not quite as clear in Daniel, it's not real segmented in the sense of where everything fits. But this has got to be toward the end. Because you can see people's coming to Israel. That great horde of the east, which would be the Chinese, and the whole Asianic, the Asian community. As they're coming there, we're setting up for Armageddon right here. Now, the thing that does seem from the Jewish perspective is Antichrist is not necessarily that there's still hostilities between them. But if you look at the very end, it's Jesus Christ against all of the godlessness. Okay? I don't, know if I, I don't know if I can do that clearly. It's like he's bothered by the rumors of those from the east coming to Israel. And that's, that's going to happen. That's at the Valley of Megiddo. That is fixed because God said it's going to happen. It's going to be that, garden, that, that valley, and it's going to be the Battle of Armageddon because God said it's going to be there. But there's not just... It, sometimes we get confused by the standpoint. This, this verse is saying that literally it's not just everybody's coming there against the Jews. Everybody hates the Jews. But there's also animosity between themselves because that's that conflict state that Satan always wants to have us in. But it doesn't matter. At the very end, it's over. And that's where they're all gathered is right there. This is, to me, is the picture of the Armageddon. Every, again, Russia regroups, they come. The Chinese from the east, they come. And everybody else that's coming at the very end of the tribulation are right there in the Battle of Armageddon. And watch this now. The Antichrist is... Who is in the Antichrist army? That would be all of the Europeans. See, you never see the king of the West. See, he, did you see that? The king of the West, the king of the West, that's him. That's him. Everything within that whole European region, and, and I'm going to say this, America could be in there too. I don't know. I literally don't know. There's a lot of nations that are not named here. And he is coming out of the European, I'm going to say the European Union, uh, the 10 thing doesn't fit. I, I'm just saying. But out of Europe, he is coming from. That's where the 10 kings of which he rises out of the sea of humanity. That is his kingship, shall we say. That's why those 10 kings are actually below him. That's why he allows them anything to give them possessions of land and leadership to, to, to have their, their authority. But he is controlling what we would call in the sense of the four winds of the earth. He is the king of the West. Because you, you do not see the king of the West come against him. He's that king. You have, the, you have the north. You have now we've seen in verse 44 the king of the east, which would be the Asia or the Chinese. And then you would have the king of the south, which would be the African community or Egypt or all of those. And literally everybody ends up in Palestine. I'm going to use that word. I'm actually going to use that word. In the valley of Megiddo at the last battle, at the end of the tribulation. And literally this is what happens. Now the Antichrist, he thinks he's invincible. If there's one person on that field that thinks he's invincible, it's him. Watch how it just clearly says, just very 44, but tidings out of the east, out of the north, shall trouble him, the Antichrist. Therefore, he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. He shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and in the glorious holy mountain. Now, that would be uh, Mount Zion. That's, that's, the, that's the mountain that is between the two seas. We've talked about it already today, between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. Yet he shall come to his end, and none 
shall help him. Now, to follow that up from Revelation, turn over with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Uh, this is John's perspective. And we're going to pick up in verse 11. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. This is the end of the tribulation. I saw heaven opened. Are you over? Revelation 19, 11. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So who is this person? Jesus Christ. Coming back as king. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. You guys are going to be riding white horses. You guys are laughing, you, you horse people out there. Yeah. You will be able to ride horses. It says so. <laughs> and white ones, no less. Uh, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth forth a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a king written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now watch, verse 17. And I saw it, that, that's the introduction of Jesus Christ. I saw an angel standing in the sun, verse 17. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. And the kings of the earth. You see, you see them almost segmented and their arm and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Now, this is this to me is like they, they gathered for a different reason. I, I hope I hope I can get this right for you. Daniel chapter 11, verse 44 tells us that the Antichrist and his army, particularly he is bothered by the rumor of the of the army of the east that's coming toward him. And again, the army from the north. They've gathered in Palestine. And I, see, I, I call it, or Israel, whatever. They're gathered there to, I think, do battle against themselves. But when Jesus Christ appears, he to them is the real enemy. Antichrist, that's exactly who he's fought this whole time. And all of a sudden when they were, they, they gathered, that's how they got there. Because they didn't get there because they're going to fight Jesus Christ. I think I need, I'm just going to say it that way. They did not go to Israel to fight Jesus Christ on the white horse. They got there because they were going to fight like it's described for us in Daniel chapter 11 verse 44. But once they're there, guess who shows up? Jesus Christ. Now watch, watch this. Let's keep going. What verse did I end on? Okay, let's start in verse 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. That's you. And the beast was taken. Just, just literally, just boom, taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him and with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire and burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's Daniel chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. So let's go back and read verse 45 now. Are any questions there? Daniel, let's go back to Daniel then. Verse 45, we'll read verse 44 again. 
chapter 11. Okay, here we go. Daniel eleven forty four. And tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. When you read Revelation chapter 19, there ain't nobody can help him. It's done. How you guys doing? Oof. What's that? Yes, yes. Now, chapter 12, which will be next week, what it's doing is it's talking about literally how it ends for the Jewish people. Right now, we've come to the end of the Gentile, uh, I would just say the Gentile persecution for the Jews. But in chapter 12, it's going to talk about the end of what I'm going to say the rebellion for the Jews. And then it's going to talk about resurrection. There's going to be some, a postlude, if you will, that's given to Daniel. Now, all of this, let's come back to Daniel for just a second. This had to be so overpowering and overwhelming to him. Because he's of the mindset that after 70 years, we're going to get to go back home. It's all going to be good. People are going to plug in. We're, that's going to be our homeland. It's all going to be fantastic. And when the angel unfolded this package, <laughs> and he couldn't even get a full grip of it, literally, from that day forward to today and beyond. We don't even know when the tribulation starts. And the Jews will continue to be in their state of rebellion. They will continue to be in this state of refusing God. And it will take the whole tribulation as godless as possible as you could even imagine. And yet what's going to actually happen is those hundred, we're going to get in the next week, but the 144,000 evangelists, that's what I'm calling them, those chosen, the ones that God has literally, what's the right word, uh, yeah, preserved, uh, sealed, sealed. I like that word. He literally sealed these 144,000 evangelists. They are invincible. And they are telling the true story about Jesus Christ. And for the first part, they just can't get people, they just can't get it. And then all of a sudden, click. Oh, that's what it is. Now, at this point, now this, keep this in mind. In the point of, from the tribulation, from the beginning to the end, two out of every three Jews have been killed. Is that amazing? Now, if you look at what's going on in our, in our world today of population reduction or control of what they're really wanting to do, there are those that are reporting from a deep ecologist standpoint, and, and deep ecology would be those that believe that animals are on the same level as humans. And how they put them together is if they're able to feel pain, then we're the same. So what they want to do is they say that the human population is the problem. So we need to reduce it. Literally, there's those that are reporting getting down to 1 billion. Now, I'm going to say the population reduction in the tribulation, if you go through all of the different seals and all the judgments, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how many people lose their lives in the tribulation, and most of those without Christ. Isn't it something? Something. That's the rebellion of mankind. I... I, I I, how God is able to deal with grace in this, and we can only see it from sin's side. But there's one thing left even, and, and I'll, I'll try to close quickly here. Because we get to the end of the tribulation, the Arm, battle of Armageddon, the, the, the beast, the Antichrist, uh, sorry, the Antichrist, the false prophet, are thrown the first inhabitants of, the, of, the, uh, of true hell, not Hades, but true hell, uh, the everlasting fire. And Satan is captured at the same time, and he's thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And you have, now, this, this to me is just so insidious of the depth of sin. 
For a thousand years, Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. We as Christians, and we are in our, we have our new body. We got our, it's, it's like the real deal. It's, it's everything that you can even imagine. And we're helping, we're serving, we're being part of this millennial age. Now, those people in the millennium, they have come into the millennium because of how they treated the Jews. Okay? They are, if, if, you, if you came in just living, now, if, if you were slain in the tribulation period and trusting Jesus Christ, that's a done deal. But those that Jesus Christ, it says that he will sort the sheep from the goats, right, in Matthew, Matthew 25, I think it is. To get in the millennium, that doesn't mean that the deal's over. You have a choice to make. And that at the end of a thousand years, and, and, and the days there are very It would be like back to the days of Noah, the days of pre, um, remember before it rained, before the flood, that literally the atmosphere was very different, very, very different. It never rained. It just was a canopy within itself, okay? There was no, no uh, ultraviolet rays. There was none of the things that deteriorated. Now, to say that sin is not in the millennium is still wrong. It's fantastic because Jesus is ruling and reigning. He's, a, he's the authoritative. He's, but you know what? At the end of a thousand years, they release Satan for a very short time. And it says people as the sands of the sea follow after him. Oh, my goodness. And that's the one thing that I hear people... If, well, if I would have been raised in a Christian home, if I would have been raised on the other side of the tracks, if I would have just had a different father, if I have just had a different mother, if I have just had something different, it's, it's not my fault. It's something else. It's the conditions. It's the environment. That is the last excuse. And it will be wiped clean. I, I personally can't hardly imagine how you could chase after Satan after living under Jesus Christ, rule and reign for a thousand years. And those that would have been born in the millennium will have to make that choice. And then it's over. It's done forever. Eternal life. I mean, we're, well, if you've trusted Christ, you are in eternal life. It started the day that you accepted Christ as Savior. Isn't that fantastic? And that's what the Bible says. It doesn't say it could be eternal life. It could turn into eternal life. No, no, it says... For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall have eternal life. Isn't that great? That is so good. There's nothing can happen to us. It's even like those Maccabeans and those that were in that terrible time with Antiochus Epiphanes. Even though their lives were taken, they weren't taken. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans chapter 8. I just, I mean, we have so many things to be thankful of, even in this crazy world we find ourselves living. And even those that find, I, 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 the scripture in the tribulation is going to be hard to find, but I guarantee you people are going to get saved from it. In chapter 10, this is, this, I'm, I'm going to close here. And there was one other verse, remember you guys are supposed to tell me about? Okay, we'll go, we'll go to it. But I want to say this, in Romans chapter 9 to chapter 11, if that, that would be some homework for you, okay? Romans chapter 9 to Romans chapter 11. It's Paul speaking about God saving the remnant of the Jews. That all the Jews would be saved. But packed in the middle of that chapter 10, verse 13, write that verse down. Chapter 10, verse 13, in this whole context of Paul talking about, I wish that all Israel could be saved. Chapter 10, verse 1. In the middle of that whole entourage of speaking and him unfolding this, he says in, in chapter 13 and verse chap, chapter 10, verse 13, all of those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that fantastic? It's always true since Jesus Christ died. And that's how the Jews will be saved at the end. Romans 10, 13. Let's go to, uh, 
We're going to close with this. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Just as valid today. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. That verse is so fulfilling particularly in a fearful world that we find ourselves living today. I'm going to say it one more time. The only thing to fear, and I say thing carefully, but I want to get your attention, is God and God alone. If you fail to fear God, then fear is available to anything else. Trust in God. Okay, did I wear you out? Amen. Amen. I like that. That's, That's a good way to end. We'll do it that way. Oh, there's three, three quick points. Three quick points. I, you can't be. It's going to be quick. Trust me. Three points for me? Okay. Here we go. All right. We just read Revelation chapter 19. Which, So if we were just to take a, a snapshot of this, these are not new. These are not, but it, it, it's reinforced. God controls everything. Number one. God controls everything. If you, Even the Antichrist is arrogant, as ruthless, as obscene and obnoxious as that person can be. It is still fixed for a time. In fact, it says very clearly. 42 months when they see the real deal. No more, no less. He controls everything. Secondly, God will purge his people Israel. He is going to finish the job. He did not turn his back and say, I'm over, I'm done with you, I don't ever want to see you again. He will finish the job. He will purge his people Israel. Number three, the world will end in a holocaust, but Christ will triumph over it all. Those things should drive us forward. All right. There's nothing more. Let's just close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to once again go to your truth, or go to your word, find the truth, to see you being completely, fully in control. There is nothing that happens that has not been set aside and and described and detailed and determined by you beforehand. We literally today looked at history. It just hasn't happened yet. You've declared it. you defined it. You've determined it. Thank you, God, that we can trust you. Thank you, Father, for Isaiah chapter 6, 26 and verse 3. Thank you, Father, for fu- fulfilling your promise to the Jew. But you didn't bail out on them because it allows us to see how fixed you truly are as being the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are unchangeable, immutable. Thank you for that. Father, today, if there's things that we said that are not true, that they would quickly evaporate from our minds. But those that are, Father, etch them in our minds. Make them part of us. May your truth resonate in our spirit. Thank you for having the Holy Spirit guide and direct us today. Thank you for your word. We would ask in our life's journey, particularly through this week, that as we take each step, we would be focused on you. We would be focused on doing, doing your work your way. Help us to be in prayer to just as Dave, Daniel has been a fantastic example. As we're leaning on you, we're able to see your will clearly. Thank you for what you're accomplishing. We pray for our land. We pray for our nation. 
pray for the people living within a nation across the world, Father, that they would turn their hearts toward you. For you said through Paul, or Paul said through your word, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's just as valid today, Father. May people see their, see their need for a Savior. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.